All right. Good morning, everybody. Guys having a good day so far? Nice, beautiful. It's going to be 70 out there. I'd I'd probably be the most popular pastor ever if I just said, dismissed. (laughs) Go home and go outside and and enjoy all that. We'll get there. We'll get there soon enough. But um, I want to ask you, first of all, welcome to our visitors. We've got several visitors here. I'm not going to have you stand up or identify yourself. I know that's even more awkward than the greeting time was for some of you. But welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, It's important to us uh, that you understand what we do and how we do it. And you're not in this place where you feel awkward, other than we consider ourselves a family. And how many know that sometimes the most awkward place you could ever be is in a room with your family, right? So we're going to have that dynamic all the time, but we want everybody to feel comfortable. So Gabe and I will be hanging around after service. The rest of our staff will. Please stop by and let us know you were here and kind of ask questions or just get to know us a little bit. We want to get to know you. Um, Before I get to the message, um, I want to ask, how is everybody's week? Did everybody have a good week? Did everybody have a uh, up and down roller coaster week, like some days good, some days bad, some days kind of in between. Okay. I wanted to ask that question because I wanted to follow it up with another question. Who here believes in spiritual warfare? And by that, I mean angels, demons, the whole deal, right? Some people say spiritual warfare and they're just like, oh, okay, well, it's, you know, they don't think about it. Spiritual warfare really means angels and demons doing battle over you. And it's just by God's grace that we don't see it going on around us all the time. Otherwise, nobody would ever get anything done, right? We're supposed to focus on, on Jesus. Jesus is the one that gave us the ability to win every spiritual battle we're ever in, as long as we just recognize that we're in one, right? And sometimes that's the hard part. Let me tell you how my week went And how I know spiritual warfare is real and happens all the time. So normally, a little insight to my week, normally on Wednesday, typically Wednesday afternoons, evenings, I'll start doing my message prep for the the coming weekend. It takes six to eight hours in general for me to put together a message for the weekend. So I'll start it on Wednesday. Sometimes that bleeds over to Thursday. Sometimes that bleeds over to Friday night at 11.59 p.m., Uh, So sometimes that happens, but last week was different. Last week, after coming home from from church a week ago, uh, I went home and we're sitting around just relaxing, and I felt like the Lord really had a message for me, really something that he wanted me to share. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to sit down at my computer, and I'm just going to open up a Word doc like I do, and I'm just going to start, I'm just going to let it flow. And in probably less than 30 minutes, all, as fast as I could type, I, I type two fingers. Sometimes three if I'm really feeling frisky, but usually it's two. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> but in the space of about 30 minutes, I had probably 90 plus percent of my message finished. And I'm like, Ooh, that's good stuff. Thank you, Lord. Thank, thank you, Lord, because it's not me. I could never come up with it that fast. It was just a download. I get to the point where I'm down to the conclusion, and I'm like, what I like to do is get everything ready, and when it comes down to like the conclusion, I like to simmer on that for a day or so and kind of pray about that, where does God want me to, to conclude this message? But right when I was getting ready to kind of save everything, I look at the screen, there's this little message that says, warning, potential critical hard drive failure. And I'm like, well, that's not good. 
never seen that before. And about 10 seconds later, my hard drive crashed completely. And when I say completely, it's not like, oh, I could recover a couple things here and there. Um, gone. Everything's gone. Everybody ever see that little message that pops up says, warning, it's been 23 days since you last backed up? Pay attention to that. <laughs> Just a little, a little public service announcement. Pay attention when it reminds you of that complete hard drive crash, lost everything. But in that 10 seconds, I was able to pull out my phone and take a shot of my screen. <laughs> like, not today, Satan. So, long story short, I had to redo everything, um, but I was able to, to recapture everything that the Lord had given me, um, and, and I, think, I think that you're going to like it. I think it's a good message, and it's a little bit different than I normally do. There's only one word of Greek that I go into. Um, there's really only one or a couple of scriptures that I'm going to put up on the screen. A lot of it is, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you directly, so, so be ready for that. So um, here we go. Let's get into this. I've already uh, used up a couple of my... Let's reset the timer because I'm going to need all this. Yeah, it's all right. Um, we're in the book of Romans. We're in the book of Romans. We're going through essentially chapter by chapter, but there is so much information in the book of Romans that it's kind of... There's a balance between how much... Can I really dig into each individual scripture because there's so much there. There's so much meat in there of how, of how God wants us to interact with him and honor him and love one another and act towards each other and how all these things happen. There's so much information there that how do you do this? And this is one of those chapters where I was really struggling with how to best do that. And this, what you'll see is kind of the result of what I feel that God gave me. So chapters 1 through 11, we're, we're starting on 12 today. Um, chapters 1 through 11 were basically about Paul instructing this church in Rome. That's why it's called the book of Romans. He's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he's telling them, Hey, you guys, you guys are doing well. You're coming together, some new believers, some Jewish converts. They're all together in this same church in Rome. And they kind of got some different beliefs and different ideas on how this Christianity thing works. But they're doing their best, and they're not doing bad. But Paul's coming together, and he's saying, hey, just so you know, those of you who are Jewish in this church, you, you're Hebrews by culture, remember that you're not better than anybody else just because you can say, check, we're... We are the keepers of God's covenant that he made back with Abraham. So therefore, we're better than everybody else. He's telling him, you're not better than anybody else. God is the one who's doing all of this. So if there's any credit to be had, it's not your credit. It's God who's doing all this thing. And let's be sure and keep our eyes there. Because really, your resume doesn't count for an awful lot in God's economy. But then he comforts him a little bit. In the last chapter, chapter 11, he says, hey... I know all this kind of sounds hard. I'm telling you to put aside generations of, of privilege being God's chosen people and set that aside and now be on equal footing with these Gentiles who are coming into the church. I'm asking you to do all that. But remember, God will reward you. God's covenant promise to the people of Israel isn't like, hey, you guys misbehaved, so that's out the window now. New plan. 
He does have a new plan, but God honors his promises. God honors his covenant. So he's not saying, people of Israel, you're dead to me now. Let's do this new thing. He's saying, hold on. I've got a new plan. You guys wait over here. I'll circle back around. Okay, so that's basically what he's telling us. And he finishes uh, the chapter by promising us, exhorting us that, hey, every good thing comes from God. And so our glory all of our praise should all go towards God for everything that we have. This is kind of where he ends up. So if we start into chapter 12, chapter 12 starts with, depending on your translation, starts with the word therefore. Therefore, or and so, or some version of that, depending on your translation. Now, who remembers when it says therefore, what we should do? What is therefore what? What that means is that everything leading up to that is, okay, now that you know this, I just got it. That's good. Um, (laughs) Everything leading up to this, everything that he had just been teaching, everything he had just written about, now that you know this, here's what our response is. So after saying, God is good, God is sovereign, God has, he, he has that sovereign right to change his plan on how he's gonna accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And if that means taking the nation of Israel as a whole and setting them on the shelf while he uses the Gentiles to accomplish his purposes, he reserves that sovereign right. But he's still God and his promise, his covenant promise to the people of Israel doesn't go away. But so that's essentially the, the, what, he, what he ends that chapter with. And then his concluding thought, the very last verse of chapter 11 is this. It's 1136. Uh, we've got it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's how he ends that chapter. Then he opens up chapter 12 and says, Therefore, okay, so we take everything that we've learned, everything that he was writing in it, that he was teaching this church in Rome. Okay, now that you know that, here's what you do with it. So this is where we are as we go into chapter 12. He had just taught them, no matter your failures, your covenant promise is your covenant promise. God wants to reconcile you to what he has always had planned. He's always had a plan for you, and God, regardless of how many times we drop the ball or we fail or we stray off the path, his heart is to get you back there. And really, the only one that can stop that from happening is you. Our choice to, our choice to not follow that path or to not accept correction keeps us off of that path, and that's really, that's really all, because his heart, like any good father's heart, is to bless his children. And that's who we are, in case you were like, well, who's his children? You. You are his children. So he concludes his thought with that. So in light of that, in light of that, Paul shifts now to a new concept. Instead of teaching doctrine and things that he's been done, in some cases kind of harsh, in some cases he's been kind of finger pointing at them. Hey, don't, don't think of yourself better than you are because you're not anything if God's not in it. That can be a hard message to take, but now he shifts. And he shifts to this idea. Since literally everything you have Everything that you are, the blood in your veins, the air in your lungs, every blessing you have ever had in your life and ever will have flows from him. And since that's the case, 
you should offer yourself and everything that you are back to him in worship. And so we go into chapter 12, and this, this is exactly where he is. So let me ask you, do you live your life like someone who has been rescued from destruction? Because remember, before we know Christ, that's the path that we're headed down. Is that path to destruction. And it's through Jesus Christ and knowledge of him that we receive salvation, which literally means to be rescued from destruction. Have any of you ever made the promise, God, if you just get me through this, fill in the blank? You ever heard the, the saying, I think it's a World War I saying, where there's no atheists in foxholes? Have you ever heard that? What it means is that it doesn't matter where you are spiritually or religiously in your belief in God, when it really hits the fan and there are bombs flying overhead and you could die at any moment, now all of a sudden, you need something outside of yourself. You need something higher to be able to believe in, to be able to put your faith in and someone to rescue you. So that's what that saying is, and I think many people have made that statement at one point or another, sometimes for literally bombs coming overhead, but sometimes it's much more minor things. You're sitting at the side of the road with a police officer getting ready to write you a ticket, and you're like, God, if you just, if you just get me through this. Okay, but that's, val that's, that's valid, but what's, what makes the difference is what we decide to do with that. If we've made that promise, if we have promised to God, if you do this, okay, and he doesn't need us to ask him. He wants to bless us anyway. But if we ask that question and we get through it, some of us just go, well, that was close. Thank you, Jesus. Back to my life. And we don't live our lives like someone who's been rescued from destruction. I found a movie clip. This is a movie clip uh, from uh, a movie called Unbroken. Unbroken, if you've never seen it, is a story of, it's a true story about a man named Louis Zamperini, and he, he enlists in, uh, in the Army or Air Corps in World War II, uh, is almost immediately shot down, spends 47 days floating on a raft in the ocean. It was a, it was a world record by far at the time. I think somebody surpassed that, but... Um, 47 days on the ocean begging for his life, and ultimately he, he is delivered from that into an even worse situation. But the point is, at this juncture, he makes, he makes that promise to God, and God delivers. And what happens is, and again, true story, and this clip won't go into all that, but he lives his life ultimately to honor God, and it's a fantastic story. But I've got the clip, and I want to share that with you, so if you could roll that. You think God made the stars, Phil? Yes, I do. So you think there's some kind of a grand plan? Why do we live and the others didn't? Why are we here now? Here's the plan. You go on living the best you can. 
try to have some fun along the way. And then one day it's over. You wake up and there's an angel sitting at the edge of your bed. Angel says, okay, you can ask me all those dumb questions now. Because I got all the answers. That's what you believe. Yeah. That's what I believe. If you get me through this, if you answer my prayers, I swear I'll dedicate my whole life to you. Whatever you want. So, bottom line is that then he goes on worse trials than this, if you can imagine, uh, but then he lives his life like it mattered, like he had literally been rescued from destruction through a prayer to God to rescue him, and he lives his life that way. He lives his life on purpose, if you will. So, with that in mind, our every thought, our every word, our every deed. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been rescued from destruction and your life should be lived on purpose to glorify him. That should be our response to that. There's a problem though. The problem is, is that that kind of a life is exactly the opposite of what the devil wants out of you. The devil wants you to take those kind of promises and ignore them. Set them aside like they didn't mean anything. Your very salvation doesn't mean anything. God doesn't mean anything to you. What can he provide to you that the devil can't provide to you? That's how he wants you to live your life. It's very, very different between what the spirit wants and what the flesh wants. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 7, Paul, in writing the same letter just a little bit earlier, he, he puts a fine point on that when he says in Romans 7, uh, verse 15, he says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand, for I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Even Paul says, 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he had met Jesus. He had been literally transformed through this process. And even still, he struggles with these things. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know, I know Jesus. I know that I'm supposed to glorify him, live my life for him. I've made that promise to him. And still, I find myself doing things I don't want to do. So if Paul struggled with it, it's going to be something that we struggle with too because we live the same kinds of problems, the same kind of temptations. There's nothing new. The stuff he went through is stuff we're going through now. So in order to do that, what can we do? What can we do if we are in a perpetual battle that sometimes we win and sometimes we lose? Good days, bad days. How do we handle this if we're supposed to live our lives honoring to Christ and the sacrifice that he made, what do we do? Number one, we need help. You can't do it alone, okay? And not only do we need help, there's a thing called the supernatural life. And that's what we're called to. We are called to live our life supernaturally. Now, what does supernatural mean? Okay, you might think ghosts and kind of stuff like this. Supernatural just literally means outside of nature, right? In this case, outside of our human nature. But let me tell you Webster's definition. So this is a dictionary definition of supernatural. And it's of a manifestation or event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding of the laws of nature. Okay, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and, and, and you have faith in him, you know what that supernatural force is, right? That's why we should give glory to Jesus. But we have an understanding of that. Some people just think, man, thank you. Whatever it is, thank you for your intervention in my life. But we are called to live our lives like that. Not just a day or a moment or an event or, a, a, you know, I'm, I'm about to, to be swallowed up by the ocean, so I'm going to pray this prayer. We're about to be swallowed up every day of our lives. And it's the enemy that's lurking around wanting to swallow you up and bring you into, into his fold. So there is a battle. There's a battle every day. But it, through the power of the, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit within us, we have everything that we need to fight that battle. And our calling then is to, because ultimately we win that battle, is to offer everything that we are to him in worship and sacrifice. So Paul now taking all that, now Paul shifts again, like I said earlier, from doctrine into talking about how to live that supernatural life. How to live a life that is an outpouring of what God has done for you. An outpouring of that thankful attitude of I've been saved. I have literally been rescued from destruction and so I'm gonna live my life on purpose like it matters to glorify him. This is where he shifts. So here's we're gonna do something a little bit different and this is why I feel like God wanted me to, to do this. I'm gonna read Romans 12, the whole chapter in its entirety. I know normally I put up little clips and little snippets and we talk about that as we go through. I'm going to read this whole thing in, in its entirety and here's what I want you to do. Those of you who are note takers, set your notes down. There's going to be nothing on the screen. We're not putting scriptures on the screen and you've seen me. There's nothing to see, okay? I want you to close your eyes 
close your eyes, and as I read this scripture to you, listen to what it's saying to you. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through this. And then the response we'll talk about later. Okay, but so just let this, now this is the NLT version for those of you who know I usually teach out of a different version. I like how this is in kind of common English and it flows better. So I'm using the NLT version. And here it is, Romans 12, 1 through 21. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. So, amen. If you want a copy of that scripture, I've taken that very version and I've got it on some cards that are back by the door on a little table. So please feel free to grab one on the way out. Take it with you, read it, meditate on it. Let the Lord speak to you further through that because there's so much there on how to live a life glorifying to God, and we glorify God when we love his children. And his children, that's the people sitting next to you. 
whether you like them or not. They're God's children. So quick recap, quick recap. Now you can go through later and highlight, but I counted at least 29 different distinct things that God is saying that he wants you to do to live a life glorifying him, right? And here they are. I'm just gonna give you a quick rundown. Give your bodies to God as a sacrifice. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Let God transform you. Be humble. Don't think you're better than you really are. Do your part to serve the body. Remember, we all belong to each other. God has given you gifts to use in serving the body. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Never be lazy. Work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Be ready to help those in need. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with each other. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things so that everyone can see that you are honorable. Live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. That's just the highlights. I think you could probably pull out another one or two from there. So in case you look at this, at this scripture, this entire chapter, and you don't think it's about spiritual warfare, look at the very last couple lines. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Because it's the devil who wants to take you away from all those things. The supernatural life, the Holy Spirit in us, enables us to do those things if we're intentional about it. But the devil wants to derail your every attempt to live your life like that. So the only way it's possible, how is this possible? Think about Paul just lining out all this stuff. Can you imagine them reading this and going, how can we live our lives like that? Because they're used to having a book of rules, okay? If you're, if you're a Hebrew, called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that's our book of rules, and we've spent our lives trying to live that way, and now you're telling us I, we need to do all these things? That's hard. But God never leaves us to our own. He never gives us instructions or never puts something on our heart when there's not a way to get this done. And this is no different. So we go all the way back. If, we're, if you're wondering, how is it possible to live my life doing all these things? I've done one or two of those in the last couple of weeks. But all 29, we're supposed to do that all the time every day. Go back to Romans 12, verse 2. Very second verse in that whole chapter. Do not be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he lays out for you right at the very beginning, this is how you accomplish what I'm going to ask you to do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We look at that scripture, be transformed. Transform, this is the one that I'm going to pull apart in Greek, and it doesn't mean something entirely different than you ever thought it meant, but there's a depth to it. It means metamorpho, which means change after being with, or change form in keeping with inner reality. 
It's used in those two different ways. So to change after being with, very much like after being with Jesus, changes you entirely. But then change form in keeping with inner reality. In other words, to reflect what's inside you. That's a transformation. Not I'm going to dress up, I'm going to look different, I'm going to act different while I'm here, but then go out and be an entirely different person. Transformation comes from the inside, and it's to reflect who you really are on the inside. And that's why we have to live this supernatural life, because on the inside, we've got a battle. We've got a battle between the flesh and a battle between the spirit. And it happens all the time. This is our battleground. The mind itself, so where it says, by the renewing of your mind, your mind itself is neither good nor evil. It's just, a, just an organ. It's not good and it's not evil, but it can become an instrument of good or evil depending on what we allow to influence it. If we allow evil thoughts, fleshly thoughts to influence our mind, now our mind is an instrument of evil and our mind can be the driver of our bodies and the things that we do. But if we allow the spirit to influence our mind, now it can be an instrument of good. And we can be an instrument of good. And that's our choice. That's something that we get to decide. How am I going to live this out? Or am I going to? Or am I just going to live my life like it doesn't matter? Okay. Have any of you ever left home in the morning, driven down the block, gotten two or three blocks away, and had to turn around and circle back and drive past your garage door because you don't remember if you closed it or not? Okay. How many have done it twice in a row? Like not two days in a row? Drive on by and go, I forgot to even look at my garage door. And you have to go around again. How many of you have left someplace, whether it's home or work, reached your destination, and you don't remember a thing about the trip? I got here. There are no flashing lights behind me. My car is reasonably dent-free. So I don't think I left a wake of destruction behind me, but I don't remember a thing. That's an example, church, of living your life not on purpose. You're on autopilot. You just go through your days. We are called to more than that. We are called to live our life like it matters. Like every single day, every single breath that you take into your lungs matters because it's a gift. Every day, every moment is a gift from God, and we should live our lives like that. Now, this battle takes place in what's called, our, or it's over our soul. Okay, so your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, so your mind, your will, and your emotions is what your soul is. Now, you have the flesh that's going to try and satisfy that. It tastes good, it feels good, makes me happy. And then you've got the spirit that can try and satisfy that as well. And again, this just to highlight that that's where the battle is. Am I going to allow the Spirit of God to satisfy my soul? Or am I going to turn to fleshly things to satisfy my soul? Because that soul is hungering, your mind, your will, and emotions are hungering to be satisfied and to be filled up. Are you going to fill it with the things of the Spirit or the things of the flesh? That's our choice, and that is what leads us ultimately to this process. Remember, I called, it's called sanctification. 
Sanctification, to remember, is to be set aside as holy and or a return to its intended use. So meaning sanctification is a process of returning ourselves back to that thing that God had always promised us, that purpose that he has always had for us. It's something that you're born with. The Bible says even before you're born, he had a plan for you. But the minute you're born, the enemy starts trying to steal that away. Some of us set that aside and we forget about it and we live our life like it doesn't matter. But God's purpose for you is to always get you back to that place, that path that he had for you. That's this process of sanctification and it's an ongoing process, but there's a huge obstacle. And that huge obstacle is right there. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Conformity to this world is probably our biggest obstacle to walking that path of sanctification. Conformity to this world looks like compartments. It looks like I've got my, my church compartment, okay, where I'm going to be holy and I'm going to like, I genuinely love Jesus and, I, and I'm listening to the message and I love it and I read my Bible and we've got that compartment of our lives. And then we've got this little compartment and maybe a couple compartments that we kind of don't show people where we keep those things of the flesh, where we keep those things that are less than holy, where we keep those things that we don't want other people to see about us. There's a problem, though, when we have those compartments that we hide those, those fleshly things, those things that satisfy our flesh. We hide those, but there's something else that hides in there. The devil hides in those compartments. So when you open up those compartments in private and you think it's not hurting anybody, and you take the lid off, and I'm just going to enjoy whatever this thing is for a while, and it's not hurting anyone. I'll put it away, and I'll go back out into my life, and I'll put on this facade. You're letting the devil into your life. You're giving him a foothold into your life. The devil hides in those compartments. So the response then is to don't have compartments. It's not okay to set aside those things. Now, God wants you, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you're ever happy and you're ever satisfied and something tastes good or something feels good that that's wrong. But is it of God? God wants you to be happy. He wants you to enjoy good foods. He wants you to enjoy pleasurable feelings. He wants those things from you. But what's our motivation for that? This is the question you have to ask yourself when you're trying to decide, is this godly? Am I glorifying God or am I satisfying my flesh? You ask yourself that question. Is what I'm doing, is what I'm eating, is what I'm feeling or what I want to do, is this glorifying God or is this just simply satisfying my flesh? Hmm. Look at your motives for everything that you do. An example that I used last night is I play hockey. Hockey is a very kind of a, can be sort of a fleshly thing. It's competition, it's rough. Um, sit in the locker room afterwards and it's locker room talk. My motivation for doing that is yes, I enjoy it. it it's, it's physical activity, it makes me feel good. But I know that in that locker room and on that team, I can be an influence. I can be an influence. 
I remember on a, a previous team that I was on, after an entire season of locker room talk, and I don't come out and say, hey guys, I'm a pastor, so clean up your act, right? <laughs> I simply act differently. And at one point, they found out I was. And it, it was in the locker room after a game. And you can see their minds starting to replay everything they had ever said or done in front of me. I'm like, guys, it's okay. But you don't have to be like that. You can be a part of the team. You can be one of the guys. You can enjoy these things without going to that level. And you can be an influence. To this day, that's one of my biggest influences in wanting to do things like that. This can apply to anything that you do. We're not to just set ourselves aside and never engage with anything. But what's your motivation? Simply that, just ask yourself that question. Am I glorifying God or satisfying my flesh? That's the way to deny the devil a foothold. And you have to be willing to set aside those things that he shows you this is just simply satisfying your flesh, and it's not where we want to be. Or this is a compartment that you have, and you shouldn't have that anymore. Our blessing is in the pursuit of that renewed mind that God wants for us. When we pursue that, and we're working towards that sanctification that he's called us to, that's a reward in itself. Because it's always going to be a battle. We'll never get to the finish line until we're there with him. Until then, it's a battle. But Paul leaves us the very last, last verse of this. Again, and I read it to you earlier, 1221. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle between good and evil, between the devil and and Jesus Christ, the Spirit in you. And it's always going to be there. But before you start thinking, what do I do? I mean, the devil's, devil's pretty strong, and the demons are around, and they're always, how am I going to handle this? We need to know this. Jesus gave us everything that we need. Jesus had authority over demons and over the devil, and he gave that authority to you. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Luke 10.19. And Luke 10.19 reads like this. Jesus speaking, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. The only way you can be harmed by the schemes of the enemy is to not realize that he's doing it and you fall into his trap. You fall into his trap by taking those little things, those little seeds, those little footholds, and putting them in compartments and hiding them away, pretending like they're not there. That's not the renewed mind. That's not the transformed mind. We should change our lives in keeping with the inner reality of what Jesus has done for us. That's how we honor him. So our response, our response to this whole thing is to live our lives on purpose. Autopilot for a Christian is not an option. We're not simply trying to make it to the end. We've got work to do while we're here. And that work begins and ends with glorifying God for everything that he has done for us. So if you need a reminder of that, again, I've got those copies. Please take them. Please take A lot of times I make copies and people are like, I don't want to take one. I'll leave that for someone else. You're the someone else. 
okay? Please take a copy with you. Meditate on it. But I want to issue a challenge. As we wrap up, I've gone just a little bit long. I appreciate your patience. Worship team, you guys can start getting ready. I want to issue a challenge. Are you willing to ask God to show you those compartments in your life? Show you things you're doing, ways you're acting that are not glorifying to him. It's not my job to condemn you. It's not my job to point fingers. Are you willing to put yourself out there? Put yourself out to God and ask him to show you those things because that's where conviction comes in. He'll show you those things. Then you have the choice. You can say, I've got this compartment and I know it's wrong and God showed it to me immediately. Maybe he already has, but you know what? I like it and I'm gonna keep it there. Then that's your choice. But you're giving the enemy a foothold into your life. So as we pray, as we conclude this, I'm gonna pray and I want you to ask God these questions. I'll pray over you and then we'll move into communion. I'll explain that here in a second. But as I pray, I want you to be asking God. Ask him, am I being used for his purposes or my own? Am I living my life to glorify him or to satisfy my flesh? And then ask this, where are the footholds that I'm giving the enemy? Am I satisfying my soul with spirit or flesh? You can ask those questions in any form that means something to you, but be willing to ask and then be brave enough and bold enough to say, okay, God showed me that. I'm gonna live my life now like it matters. So would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you so much for for the very breath in our lungs, the blood that moves through our veins, the ability to hear a message from your heart, the ability to join a family in a, in a body of Christ like this, to be able to sit in the company of other believers and, and glorify you and worship you and seek your heart. We thank you first and foremost for that and for sending your son Jesus Christ to give us dominion and authority over the schemes of the enemy. So Lord, I pray that no noise, no lies of the enemy would take root in us right now, that your spirit would be the one that speaks to us more loudly than anything. Fill our heads with your heart and your love and your spirit speaking directly to us. And I bind and I silence the voice and the lies and the noise of the enemy that would want to distract us. Make us think that it didn't matter or it didn't happen or I'm not hearing right or that's just me. Father, penetrate our hearts with the word from your heart that we can't ignore. Burden our hearts for those things that you know are keeping us from you. Because ultimately, God, that's what we want. We want more of you. We want a deeper relationship with you than we have ever had before. So Father, help us to set aside those things that hinder that relationship in any way. Convict our hearts, God we'll do our part. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to move into communion now. Communion, the way that we do it here, if you're new, we have at the crosses, we've got juice and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you can serve yourself or your family, and you just dip into the juice. Uh, up front here, Gabe and I will have wine, and again, bread and crackers, and we would be happy to serve you. Same thing, you just dip it, and, that, and that's how you take it. 
if you are new here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we're called to take communion together. You don't have to be a part of our church or anything like that. We're called to do this as believers in Christ, but let's do it intentionally like we should live our lives on purpose. Let's take communion on purpose. So when you are there and you have prepared your heart to be thankful for what Jesus has done for you, then feel free to move around and start partaking in communion and then just enjoy the worship after. Thank you, church.
somebody who wants to share a word with us on what it means and what it looks like to listen to the Holy Spirit and how simple it can be to have him rescue us from destruction. So just a quick word. So I'm usually not like this where I get up in front of anybody and talk, but this past week, God uh, showed me that he does have my back. I work downtown in an 11-story building and it's supplied its uh, energy it's, it's an AT&T building, so there's a lot of phone equipment, a lot of data equipment, stuff that has to run all the time. Um, it's supplied its energy by Excel, but if Excel happens to fail, we have uh, eight 2300 horsepower generators that have to run to kick in. And once a month, we have to test those just to verify that they're gonna work. Um, this past week, I was running them, and they're supplied fuel by a 25,000 gallon fuel tank that supplies fuel to a 400 gallon tank to run the generators. One of the generators uh, decided that it was gonna start dumping fuel and they're on the 11th floor. And I, there's all kinds of valves and lines and stuff that are supplying and returning fuel. Um, I didn't quite know what to do. I was trying different things, trying to get it to shut off. And I finally stopped and I said, God, show me what to do because these are on a timer. They're gonna run for an hour and this is dumping quite a bit of fuel on the 11th floor, could have been a major, major problem. I finally stopped and said, God, please help me, show me what to do. As soon as I did that, I, I couldn't believe it. He stopped me, said, that's the one you need to shut off. I shut that fuel supply off. It stopped the drain, the, the whole thing right there on the spot. I, it was just a, a pure miracle. I mean, I almost broke into tears. <laughs> but God, God is great. Guys, that's something that we want to leave room here for at our church. If, if at any time, if you've just got a, a great word of praise or, or something that's that you feel you want to share with the body, just come to Gabe or I or one of our prayer team in the back and let us know. We always want to leave room for those kinds of things. I think they're so encouraging. And so that's how it can simply look in the middle of a storm, um, potential catastrophe. Take a moment and just ask for his guidance. He's always there. Amen? Thank you, guys. Oh, hey, King Jesus.